the reason why this is so important uh, to me and I, what I want to what I want to get into with you guys now is uh, everyone talks about uh, customer success and the way it looks from the work that we're doing is customer success tends to be about the end customer adoption of a technology that they've bought. So uh, I've bought X, but I'm only using 10% of X. So I need, you know, the customer success is I want you to use 20, 30, 40, 50, up to 100 because you've bought it and it's still siloed. Uh, when you go up a level, we start to talk to partner success and partner success seems to be uh, doing to you. In other words, if I'm a good provider of technology, I will give you what you need to be successful. So it's still siloed. But when you go up a level and you look at ecosystem success, it's not, no technology lives in isolation. Who am I uh, co-innovating with? Who am I co-selling with? Who am I co-partnering with? Um, that technology that you bought is great, but without the reference architecture, that's where you really get the best return on the investment of the initial sale that you did, that everyone's focused on that adoption. I'm seeing that. And the reason why it's so disjointed is there's no business plan inside the organization to allow for it and to allow for someone to come to you and give you that. How does that fit with what you two are seeing? Because that's exactly what I'm seeing. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, there, there's obviously a major shift from how SAP and Oracle and IBM and others, you know, sold legacy maintenance-driven software to a true subscription model. Uh, you know, the biggest change is this land and expand model. You know, you had companies building incredibly long horizontal platforms that, you know, maybe went a mile wide and an inch deep. And your customer success function and maybe your partners with that customer trying to get them from using 10% of the product to 20, thinking that that was the key to stickiness. Once they're using 20, it becomes part of their everyday habits and it'll be harder to unplug. Then if we can get them to 30, you know, we're just going to keep on this linear path to 100. Well, that's not the model that any of the larger, faster growing companies are using today. If you take a Salesforce, a HubSpot, a Workday, a ServiceNow, a NetSuite, I could rip through you know, hundreds of really fast-growing SaaS companies. They're all in yep. land and expand. They all start with this premise that there is going to be no $1 million RFP. What it's going to be is a $30,000 pilot in some department, in some division, in some spot of the world, bought by a director who's going to sweep this 30K under the carpet and not get me certified as an actual vendor. And it's going to be somewhat rogue and uh, shadow IT based until it works. And, you know, I was at IBM at the time where we just spent a billion dollars on Siebel. And I was one of the first managers that brought in Salesforce. And guess what? At the end of the week, I had to hire somebody that transferred all that activity into right. Siebel. Yeah. And then when my peers started that, and when there was a dozen of us, and then two dozen of us, and when it happened around the world, all of a sudden, at, at one point, IBM dumped the billion-dollar Siebel investment and started talking about a multi-hundred million-dollar Salesforce engagement. But that started $30,000 at a time. And their idea wasn't, I, I want you to use 10% of Salesforce and get to 20. I want you to use 10% of Marketo or Eloqua and get to 20. No, I, was, I want you to use it all. Yeah. And I want to make it easy to use. I want to make it simple. I want you using it to the point where I can expand across the organization. And as I innovate, I'm going to sell you that new innovation. I'm not just going to jam it into this big mile-wide program. I'm going to charge you for every incremental innovation that we come out with, every acquisition that we make. And this layered pricing is this expansion. 
and you go from 30 grand to 300 grand to now a million dollar client. But if you're selling, trying to get that million dollar RFP, you're going to find that, um, you know, it, it's some, the basket is somewhat empty of those. Yes. Yeah, Scott, Jay must be sitting in a lot of your sales calls because that's all those carbon, carbon copy of what you're seeing. Uh, and I know he doesn't, which means that Jay is seeing that with a lot of organizations, which mirror exactly what your experience is. Uh, I think the biggest challenge is uh, a lot, uh, the, the partners uh, not knowing what to do, really not knowing what to do in terms of getting into not, not just that expand, but that extend area, which includes several several technologies. Well, that's right, Nick. I mean, the, the partners also worry. I mean, the Microsoft change has threatened a lot of the partners' partners' business. So they're all sort of, uh, you know, doing a lot of navel-gazing, I would say, the classic ones. I think um, I want to pull out, you know, the partner success piece. And uh, I, there's one manufacturer that's, you know, banging the drum about partner success and their new mm-hmm. platform. Well, they haven't included the distribution layer in it. So does that mean they see distribution going away or... You know, they've just forgotten about it while they're rolling out a partner success platform. Um, I think it's more the latter than the former, but um, you've still got these um, siloed, not necessarily organisations, but siloed thinking going on inside these organisations, which is a, a challenge to get these sort of wider ecosystem, you know, dots or galaxies joined together in a celestial context. So until your ecosystem officer comes on board and has the power to manipulate effectively across an organisation rather than just in their own swim lane, that's going to be a challenge. In the terms of um, the reseller community or the service provider community, extend, which is the the cross-sales piece, um, is always going to be critical. And that's back to my original point in the the video is that... a lot of these manufacturers are still thinking in terms of I'm only selling my box or my service or my cloud. They forget that they are wrapped up in an entire delivery for a customer who's got five or six vendors in there or even possibly more to deliver what they need to deliver. And I think that sometimes gets forgotten in this whole picture, which is the, the customer at the end of the day is trying to deliver a business initiative and uh, you know, we've still got sales reps walking into customers saying, buy X, buy Y, buy this, rather than, right, Mr. Customer, how do we deliver what you're trying to achieve? Okay, so, gents, is the, is the end customer reorganised already and the channels hasn't yet to meet how they want to consume technology? Is that a fair I would, uh, I would say not. I would say not. I'd say most of the end customers right now are focused on inflationary pressures, cost to do business. Like everything is going absolutely nuts everywhere from a supply chain point of view, um, and, and this whole cost base. So they're all now. I think my perception is looking inwardly to work out how they're going to remove cost out of the business, which is something they normally should do. But when when you're fat and happy, you don't have to look inwards. You can just keep rolling on, right? So I see a lot of this um, gnashing of teeth internally to try and work out how they go to market with all of these new challenges. Um, that's that's my personal view on the, the end sure. user market today. Sure. So there is hope. Jay, is there hope? Well, there is. I mean, the distribution layer has gone through an incredible amount of change since the last time we spoke. Uh, last year's session, I think we kind of double-clicked on my report, Our Distributors, the Future of Distribution. Yep. I talked about them building platforms for distribution. You got me in a lot of trouble. 
on that one. I got in a lot of trouble, but <laughs> you got last me in a lot week, of trouble. <laughs> last week, Ingram brought together all of its uh, partners and on the main stage talked about this new platform for distribution, you know, coming out, um, you know, later this summer and bringing in cloud blue and all the investments they've made and really building this platform for distribution. You know, you've watched TD Cynics come together with over a billion dollars of investment to become this platform of distribution outside of the consolidation. You've had hundreds of value added distributors around Europe and Asia Pacific, you know, either come together or start to play out what I call the orchestration role. Yeah, right. And it's not exactly a supply chain or distribution role because it's not logistics. It's not capital and credit facilities. It's not exactly the, the role they played in the past. But when there's a million software companies and there's 35 million potential customer permutations, when you've got those seven partners participating during that journey and all these different moments in the journey, I mean, things get um, into an error on the calculator pretty fast when you start multiplying those things together. And distributors play a really important role, but we've also seen other players start to look at that orchestration role. A week ago, you've noticed a Pax8 type company raised $185 million. You've seen other companies like SureWeb or, you know, in Australia, you see NextGen, you see companies that are envisioning a future where they're distributing bits, not atoms. And the savings from distribution centers and logistics and supply chain and capital credit facilities can all be poured into orchestration investments. Mm -hmm. Now you're seeing also in the telco space, 25 different, what used to be called master agents, now called tech solutions brokers, are coming directly into this orchestration space mm -hmm. and looking like, you know, less like people that would sell you a phone system uh, to an agent or sub-agent and start looking at somebody who's orchestrating all of these customers. And I would say customers are getting smarter and smarter. The same way you use those 28 moments to get smarter than the car dealer and that car salesman, when you set foot on the dealership floor, you've downloaded the invoice price, you've downloaded the backend rebates, you've configured that car right down to the you know, last nickel. The fact is, is they're doing this too. And they're building their own seven layer stack, which is, average, they're finding their seven partners to help them. And in many cases, that orchestration role becomes important, not just in terms of how the money changes hands, because that could go direct, it could go through a marketplace, there's all kinds of other ways that happens. It's the orchestration though, of every moment of every one of those 30 days of every one of those 28 moments that take place. And the smarter dist distributors are learning, distribution is learning that that's the future value of their organizations. Scotty? Uh, I agree with Jay. In fact, while Joe was talking about that, I was relying in my head the, the whole battle Mercedes has got going on here with its dealerships. You know, it's it no longer wants them to be dealers. It wants them to be agents so they can control the whole journey. They can control the pricing mechanisms, everything. Um, so you're going to see this not only in car dealerships, you're going to see it across the board. Because the technology is available now to allow them to do that and move into the next generation. It is, it is, but the difference between, say, Mercedes and the IT industry is that you can buy a Mercedes and it's complete. There's nothing to add to it. In IT, typically, there are other partners that you need to roll out at the same time to mm. deliver the car. If you, you know, it's like yeah. someone supplies the wheels, someone supplies the steel. That's yeah. you, the, the reseller is effectively the assembler. Yeah, and the recurring revenue is the, the all the licenses that you need to keep the technology 
the running in the car. Yes, and, exorbitant and, maintenance prices you have to pay every year, and, right? And, and, and aftermarket, that's the big one that's coming up, the aftermarket side of it. Now that I've bought it every year, I've got aftermarket expenses yeah, and right. how do I manage that? And they're, they're embracing technology, they're using technology and they've got a competitive advantage. Whoever's been giving them that technology has worked out what Jay's saying and reorganised to be able to get give them that competitive advantage. It seems to be happening more and more in different industries. And I always look at it as, well, now the IT industry, what we do is enable all the other industries to be able to execute rather than, uh, rather than you know, be a business in and of itself. So, well, to, to stay with the car analogy, um, uh, one of my cars, a BMW, I have to pay a subscription fee every year it's for all of the electronic tracking and everything else. Um, personally, I don't see that as a whole lot of value because I drive it just as a car and that, that's what it's there to do. Right. So the, to that point, the resellers have to determine what the value is to the customer of those ongoing subscription fees for whatever it is, aftermarket, service, uh, delivery, whatever it is. The interesting part of this is that, you know, if you look across industry, you know, 76% of CEOs can't do it alone. They feel they can't do it alone. And they're going through business model changes uh, to make that a reality. But I can't sell pharmaceuticals alone. I can't sell banking and financial services alone. I can't sell cars or manufactured goods alone. And obviously I can't sell technology alone. And every one of those companies are digitizing. They're becoming technology companies themselves. Yes. So this channel, this broader ecosystem that we're talking about, these new 400 partners that join Microsoft every single day, don't look like your partners of the past. Yeah. Right. And the ecosystem chief is there providing all of the programs and, and the automation necessary to handle all of this opportunity. And I'll say that you know that's one company that's done it right where they've outgrown their major competitors especially in the uh, infrastructure space, uh, cloud space, every single quarter for nine straight quarters. Yeah. So they've used that enterprise champ. They've used this enterprise ecosystem to their advantage. And I'll say that BMW and Mercedes, you know, here in the US, Ford, uh, they're all looking at being computers on wheels. Yeah. And the second that you buy an electric car, you know, five years later, it's self-driving. And five years after that, it's transportation as a service. Right. So our right. grandkids or our kids, depending on our ages, may never own a car, not because they live in a big city and can take the subway. It's because they play a subscription. And now it's not just for your GPS to have the latest map and your radio stations to have the latest apps. No, it's literally to get you the right kind of vehicle for the intended purpose to show up five minutes before you need to go from point A to point B. Absolutely. Okay, so let's, for the, for the remainder of the time, let's get really practical. Let's stay on the practical because that's what you guys are talking about right now. Um, there's 220 um, uh, players in your ecosystem stack are growing, and it's still yours, regardless of where you're at. Uh, so you're, you're the authority on this. So I'm going to ask you that question. Um, it, it seems that uh, customers uh, and customers are keeping that stack alive because they're consuming their technologies um, as a service. Uh, and... And, and, and they're growing. Their revenues are growing, but the numbers are growing as well. It's a lot, a lot more now than they were before, which means that that stack is successful and, and, and it is an area of focus. How are these players combining? What, what best practice are you seeing, Jay, where these players are combining to be able to give them more than just the, the little bit that they do to form a, 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 a complete solution for the end customer to, to perform full pharmacy, for example? 
Yeah, so it's never been about building out that mile wide inch deep thing. That's where PRM started, you know, 30 years ago. And it's a fool's errand. As the okay. channel chief, as the channel marketing leader, as the channel sales leader, the ecosystem leader, as they're in their 28 moments, consuming a podcast like this, consuming eBooks, going to events, reading magazines, doing all the things they do, they're getting to the conclusion that there's multiple things I need to do to be successful. You talked about the KPIs earlier, not just measuring and monitoring and managing those, but managing all the moving parts. It is highly complex and there is no extra investment here. So I can just go hire people to plug in as buffers to right. this anymore. You talk about right. the macro challenges. So this idea of the ecosystem, which I, I mentioned a few years ago, I put 17 logos on it. Last year, I took a swing at actually categorizing five different categories of ecosystem technology. Yeah, you did, yeah. Because it's different because it acts in layers. Yeah. I can't just go in and buy a data sharing and escrow service and, and call it complete. And my, you know, five of my vice presidents are now happy. Well, guess what? That's not the way it works. Mm. I have to buy attribution software combined with that. That's the one-two punch. Yep. Well, guess what? Now I have to manage a lot of these different moving parts in different ways through different things. And that's why there's five layers to that stack alone which as I mentioned earlier is now the size of PRM as an industry and growing and in many cases growing by triple digits. And that's why, you know, wall street is writing $3.8 billion worth of checks into that tech stack last year to help fuel that growth. And obviously get in early. You're not going to get in early anymore on the MarTech stack. You're not going to get early on the sales tech stack. Guess where you can get early is in the second year of a decade long set of traditions. Yeah. Yeah, Scott, you're saying that because you've got now several hundred different vendors on the platform, all combining in some way to be able to do uh, the transaction in one single thing, you know, co-terming it, bring it in one bill a month, uh, quote, to, quote to cash, all those things. Uh, what Jay's saying is, is actually happening in, in your world. Uh, well, it is. And in fact, I would say over the last 12 months, the change for us has been we are now seeing more partnering with other SaaS companies inside the stack. So, yeah. um, you know, the last mile, so billing uh, and invoicing and taking the cash, for instance, mm -hmm. or um, um, coming in at a lease level. Like, I mean, people are still leasing uh, mm -hmm. products out there in the market to get it mm -hmm. down to that monthly spend. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, another one monitors a particular manufacturer's um spiffs for the quarter so it checks our platform when our platform's mm -hmm. doing a quote it checks to make sure that they're quoting that the new not only the new price but it's the one the manufacturer wants them to quote rather than you know last year's mm -hmm. one mm -hmm. um, that's a you know so some companies tens of millions of dollars mm -hmm. uh, per mm -hmm. quarter so we're starting to our position is with all of these uh, people in the tech stack that we're in is we're really the product guys we're sitting underneath all the transactions and we can connect not only the dots between the channel players, the vendor through to uh, end user, but we can connect all of those people that are doing different parts of the tech stack uh, that Jay's monitoring at a yeah. partnership level yeah. or an ecosystem level, because underlying all that has to be a transaction between those partners. And so you've got to sit there below, you know, down in the dungeon, as I like to call it, uh, whereas all the pretty boys up the top in the MarTech stacks, et cetera, uh, can do all the, the, you know, what they yeah. do. Yeah, but what, what we're finding, Jay, is the, the if you could if you could make the transaction easier, then the technologies will combine. So 
uh, we've caught on that. And of course, you're, you're aware of um, the Channel Collective, which got started several years ago, five, six years ago. So before the decade of the ecosystem even started uh, to get an ecosystem going with co-selling, uh, which has worked, which which which, which and the, there is a channel talk on that with all the players there. So that might be interesting. Some of the viewers of Gavin already seen it. Uh, it starts to get practical, and what you got your the advice that you're giving Jay is definitely starting to get practical, and people starting to listen uh, from from at least from our from our lens. Um, I'm going to end with you know a, 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 a question, uh, but before I get to that. Um, Jay, the capital markets aren't behaving. A lot of the valuations of a lot of these players, the 220 that you talk about, and a lot of the players that are bringing in money, um, that's challenging for them. How do they navigate this? Is it just like forget it for a while because they'll behave, start behaving, and the valuations become back in? Or is this how tech companies are going to be valued now? Are we seeing a, a new way of valuation? Uh, I don't think so, but I think we're you know going to have a pause in the capital markets. Um, it reminds, I think, CEOs everywhere that at some point you have to put together a business model that can actually generate cash and, and be profit. And even though that might not be some of the key metrics the market has looked at, in times like this, they come back. And a lot of the companies that were the most damaged over the last 30 days, stock market-wise, are the ones that actually don't have a repeating uh, scalable business model themselves. So if you're still living in a pitch deck based on speculation and you know the future and things like that, those are the companies that have been you know the most uh, damaged. I, I think most companies are going to have to circle the wagons a little bit and obviously mm -hmm. figure out. And you're you're seeing uh, a round of layoffs. You're seeing a round of consolidation. Mm -hmm. But then what did we see this morning? VMware, um, yeah. you know, yeah. that could be potentially acquired. So yeah. guess what? There's a lot well, of deals welcome, I think. Wasn't it there in the market. Yeah. And I will remind you that the biggest tech companies that governments have been kind of coming after now for a while have a trillion dollars in the bank. Mm. And if these companies are now affordable, you know, we're going to go through perhaps the later half of the year, some very, very large acquisitions of companies that six months ago would have been unaffordable yeah. Mm. Yeah, now yeah. become new opportunities mm. to put money in. Private equity still has large yeah. um, funds that they've built over time. That money doesn't get withdrawn like a bank. There's no run on the bank here. Mm. But they, their investors inside these funds are wanting them to go in and look at places that they can places they can combine things and you know perhaps put together uh, things of great value when the market starts moving again. And so I, I don't think that the model, the subscription consumption usage based, value based, or the product led growth models, the models around marketplaces and what we talked about here in terms of you know connecting all the dots in the end, those models are all successful. That's how trade happens and capitalism happens. And there's no disruption there. It just provides a buying opportunity now mm -hmm. and obviously a, a business model right now to, to make sure that you take this unfiltered hiring that you've been doing and blank checks that you've been writing and, and go back to business school a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I had a conversation yesterday, Jay, with someone who said that the, the proof of the ecosystem being important is that uh, companies are merging, four, five, you know, resellers emerging, two or three resellers emerging and creating the, the ecosystem themselves under one under one roof. And, and when I thought about it, I went, oh, that's actually right. That's actually what's happening. Uh, so one way or another, the ecosystem is working. Um, avoiding it, 
um, is, is, is to your own peril as a, as a business. Um, Scott, do you have anything to add to that before I ask the last um, question? Well, just off Jay's comments. Basically, there is no shortage of money out there. There is not a week that goes by that I don't get an email from a VC or a PE trying to spend their yeah. investors' cash. Yeah. So um, although there might be a pause in capital markets, there's still a, 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 there's plenty of plenty of cash looking for a place to go. Um, on the other side, I agree with Jay. I mean, I came from building very successful distribution, profitable distribution businesses. Um, and the last time I had a conversation with a VC, which would probably be a year ago now, just because it was one of the big ones and, you know, you want to keep the conversations open just in case, um, was that, you know, I said, oh, we went profitable, you know, a couple of years back. And he goes, well, that's bad. And I said, why is profit bad? He goes, well, because you can be measured now, whereas if you're not profitable, you still <laughs> dream. And it's like, to me, as a, someone who builds businesses, that just seems so crazy, but that's, that's how they view it. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to get Jay's view on that last point. On that last point, I mean, you know, profit's bad. <laughs> well, the, clo the closest analogy is probably your credit score, your personal credit score. Yeah. Right. If you pay off all your bills and stop using credit, and you just become cash-based and things, yeah. your credit score goes down. Yeah. Because the people that are looking in at the score want you to be in debt. They want you to be a good customer but they want you to be active. And you know, if you're investing every nickel you make plus a few more back into your business, if you truly believe it's a business of the future and you're gonna be one of the winners, you're gonna be a HubSpot worth 47 billion at the end of the decade, there's not a nickel of profit that they wanna see. They want you to be paying quarters and dollars and hundreds of dollars back into this engine that you're building yeah. to build it faster and fuel it faster. And they will run cover for you if anybody you know goes and asks any legacy financial questions. Yeah, yeah. And I could tell you, Jay, you're 100% right because after our last channel talk, when you said we will get bought, <laughs> thank you. My workload, <laughs> my workload increased like- Oh yeah, I don't know, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. Another we, prediction that came true? We resisted because you know we don't need to be bought. But uh, well, yet we don't need to be bought yet. But there's a, there's there's a lot to do. But what did come from that, Jay, was lots of discussions with these people with money, and what they want to invest in is people who understand the ecosystem. They understand plus one plus one plus one equals five. If you you know if in terms of return on their working capital, if you do it right and if you invest right, and that's what they're looking for. So you were spot on again. You're spot on again now. Um, and that 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 will that I think will continue. Please don't don't hammer me, people. With it. We're just not ready yet. Not ready yet. I'll let you know. I'll let yeah. you know we're ready for that. But um, what what uh, I, the one thing that everyone want, wanted me to ask both of you, and this is what I'll close in, is you're sitting in front of, and this is from a partner point of view. Okay, not from a a partner slash distributor point of view. Not not the technology provider. All right whether they're SaaS, whether they're traditional, doesn't matter. What's the one thing you will tell them that they need to do first in order to be able to secure some form of success? What's the one thing as a distributor slash partner you need to be doing right now? And I'll start with you, Jay. All right. So I'll, I'll, I'll boil it to one word. Please. Multiplier. So all the fastest growing companies in the world, whether the, the hyperscalers or whether the RPA companies all the companies that are growing the fastest, the big SaaS companies, they've done a great job over the last couple of years of changing the language to the channel. 
when you run an ecosystem, it's not as much about your channel or resell type program. It's about the economy. Salesforce was the first company that did it years ago and talked about a $4 multiplier. And today it's $6.19. In days gone by, you could make 20% of the deal or 30% of the deal plus three to 5% on the back end. And this is how the economy worked. And everything came at the point of sale. You overpaid half the partners, you underpaid the other half. It was just never a precise science. And now they're paying at the point of value during those first 28 moments, during that partner assist on the transaction, during those every 30 days, they're figuring out ways to do that and measure it and score it and pay at the point of value. But they're also doing a job of, let's not talk about winning 20% or 30% of that deal with Microsoft. Let's start getting you to the point where you could win 200 or 300% of the deal. What kind of skills do you need? What kind of business practices do you need to build? How do you engage with our program so that you can be in front of that $100,000 deal and go and propose a $300,000 uh, proposal to get it working? And that's the implementation, the integration, the security, the compliance, the data, the automation, all these different elements. There's 17 more. That's where you need to build your company towards. And that's the multiplier. And I would be obsessed over it. And I would be asking every one of my major 10 or 20 vendors that I'm partnered with what their multiplier is and want to sit down and have a really detailed conversation of how I build my business into that two to 300% business. That is, that is as profound as it is practical because that is exactly what we're, what, what, what the kinds of conversations that we're encouraging our um, channel partners to have and uh, with, their, with their suppliers because their suppliers are also our customers and it is working. It is. It is we're, we're actually seeing it from a their own annual recurring revenue on our platform and the growth there. This proof is undeniable. And that last bit, Jay, I'm going to promote the hell out of that because it is probably the most important paragraph I've, I've heard in a long time from anyone. Who's, uh, who's who's talking to the channel, and and I really really appreciate that you that you, you that should you gave actually, us that. You should do the work. Go do the work and find out to the penny what your yeah. multiplier yeah. is, yes. and have that conversation. Yeah. By the way, yeah. now the conversation you're having in all six swim lanes. Yeah, there's yeah. a piece of the pie for everyone. Yeah, and there's a yeah. place if you're in one part of the pie, you want to go adjacent into another piece of the pie. It's the right business level conversation that every yeah owner yeah. principle of every partner on the planet is yeah. ready and willing to have. And Scott, that must be music to your ears because you can actually give them those metrics, give them those multipliers, give them the numbers on that, give them the success factors, which is working, you know, for is.com as well um, as, a, as a valid transaction platform. It's almost, uh, yeah, it just so happens to be a transaction platform but it's also a metric platform. This is this is what your business this is what your business looks like. Well, to answer your original question, from my point of view, um, I would ask a question to the distributors and channel partners, and that is, what is your value? So strip out all the technology, all of the cloud players, everything that's coming at you from every angle. Strip all that out and work out what your value is. Not only because distributors and resellers, they've got two customers. Effectively, they've got a vendor and, a and an end user on the other side. They're both customers that you both have to service because without one, you can't have the other in a general context. Mm -hmm. So strip all that out and work out what your value to both of those players is 
and then build around that. I mean, you know, I do a lot of mentoring for smaller uh, organizations and younger kids, but um, my biggest one is value. If I don't save you money or make you money, I'm not doing anything for you in reality or both, mm. which is mm. what I'd like to see. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Gentlemen, we've hit the hour, so I'm going to thank you from the bottom of my heart for some incredible advice there. Um, this one is a beauty. Um, I'm sure we'll get a hell of a lot of uh, response. Always looking forward to uh, to the next chat, Jay. It's always wonderful. And uh, you need to know that um, that our customers as well as our uh, Channel Talks audience just love these sessions with you. Uh, just the rubber hits the road and, uh, and, and, and the practical advice is amazing. So thank you, sir, for, for another wonderful uh, session with us. Thank you, Scotty, for, for everything that you do uh, for us on, on the talk. Uh, it's, it's, it's tremendous to see the success of the channel and we'll keep going with this kind of quality. Uh, Jens, have a wonderful uh, day. Uh, thank you very much and looking forward to uh, putting this together again sometime soon. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, cheers. Thanks, guys.